0: Good morning, and welcome to New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN, where our goal every Sunday is to entertain, enlighten, and expose you to information that can lead to positive change in your life. I'm Larry Hardesty. This morning, we'll speak with New York's own Andrew Merstein. He's CEO of Medallion Financial, also majority owner of Richard Petty Motorsports and the New York Lizards lacrosse team. So if you're preparing a nice Sunday breakfast or about to hit the road for an early run, eh, <laughs> Remember your mask and social distancing. Thanks for making us a part of your morning. We'll discuss sports and business when New York Sports and Beyond returns on 98.7 ESPN. Welcome back to New York Sports and Beyond. I'm Larry Hardesty. Andrew Merstein is the founder, president of the largest shareholder of Medallion Financial Corporation. Under his leadership, today Medallion manages over $1 billion in investments. Merstein has been named among Crane's New York business 40 under 40. In mid-2012, Merstein became the majority owner of the New York Lizards, as Medallion Financial was one of several parties involved in the purchase of the professional lacrosse team. And in late 2010, Medallion Financial was one of several parties involved in the purchase of Richard Petty Motorsports. So join me in welcoming Andrew Merstein to New York Sports and Beyond.
1: Thank you. Great being here today.
0: Andrew, please give my audience a background before we start with all the titles that I've given you. How did you reach that point?
1: Well, um, we've been doing a lot these last 70-plus uh, years uh, at Medallion Financial. Uh, you know, It actually all started with my grandfather who came to New York and started driving a taxi cab. And then my father got involved in the business and started lending money to women and minority-owned companies. And then I took over about 30 years ago and started diversifying. And sports always fascinated me. And we started investing in sports teams about 12 years ago.
0: So when you why did you decide on NASCAR? I mean the NBA, NFL, I mean, you know, with with the success of your financial company, you could have gone any which way, yes?
1: Yes, that's that's a great question. So it actually started uh, at a board of directors meeting about 15 years ago and uh, I was lucky enough to have as mentors, uh, Hank Aaron and Mario Cuomo. Mm. and They were both on our board of directors, and one day we sat around a conference room table, and we started talking about how taxi medallions were similar to sports franchises, in that there were only so many of them, and they had a great record of appreciation over time. So we started a sports fund back in 2010, and it was, I think, the only sports fund uh, of its We raised over $200 million, and the goal was to have a publicly traded sports investment. It got done through a program that was called a SPAC, a Special Purpose Acquisition Corp., and they're very popular these days. So we started um, looking at teams, and it was myself, again, Hank Aaron and Mario Cuomo, and Jack Kemp was our partner, too, and Jack Mm. You may know how to a history in the NFL, and as a great politician. So we looked at many, many sports franchises. We probably looked at over 30 or so, and they each had their pluses and minuses. Um, I recall, you know, meetings years ago with Magic Johnson and, and Michael Jordan about investing in the NBA, and we met with people like Jim Brown about investing in lacrosse and other sports. But NASCAR intrigued us the most because of its very narrow scope. It wasn't very diverse. It uh, wasn't, in my view, very inclusive. And we wanted to make a change, not just in terms of business, but a social impact. And we thought we would have the best bang for the buck in NASCAR.
0: Now, Andrew, when you, when you weighed that against the, quote, major sports, we'll just put that in quotes, uh, was it that you felt with NASCAR, you kind of had more of a more control financially, whereas with team sports, you know, you've got contracts, you've got league issues, you've got money as far as networks, you've got so many other things that can cloud the success of your investment.
1: Yes, yes, you know, I, I there's a lot of pluses in many of these sports. Um, the the thing that I liked about NASCAR, though, is is many, and I don't think the average fan really knows the true economics in sports many teams, in fact, most of the 30 that we looked at, lost a lot of money. So you could take an NBA team or an MLB team. They have such high payrolls that they lose a lot of money per year, and eventually they sell to a higher bidder, so they make it up with appreciation. What I like, frankly, about NASCAR is the entry point was a lot less in terms of NBA teams' These, when we were looking at them, they were going for $500 million. Today, they're probably over a billion. But you can pick up a NASCAR team at the time for under $200 million. And the payroll was a lot less than it was in other sports. You only have one major store to pay, basically. So uh, we like the economics of it. We like the upside of it, NASCAR. The, growing up in New York, I didn't know a lot about it. But the business, the more I learned, the more I liked it. Uh, It really has a lot of potential in that it's the second most attended sport in the U.S. behind the NFL, and its TV ratings many times surpass all the sports other than the NFL. So we thought that over time, if we could grow the sport, it would be a great long-term investment.
0: What was your game plan when you got into NASCAR on making it more inclusive and making it so that your investment gets better and introduce it to a wider audience?
1: Yes. So um, up until that point, all of our loans at Medallion Financial, or most of them, were to women and minority-owned companies. So we wanted to continue that focus in the sports world. And I remember that the press conference that I had, and it was just Richard Petty and I in front of about 100 members of the media announcing that we were buying the team, they asked me that question, and the answer was that I want a uh, more diverse fan base, and I want uh, diversity in the drivers, and we wanted to hire either a woman driver or a person of color, and that was the goal. It it was actually mind-boggling to me that in 50 years, NASCAR never had a full-time black driver in its top series, so I'm very proud to say that we've changed that by hiring Bubba Wallace and putting him in the world-famous 43 car.
0: Why Bubba Wallace? What was it you saw in him? What was it in his makeup, his experience that you knew he was the guy?
1: So um, we didn't know it immediately, to be honest. The first driver that we put into the car was actually Eric Almarola So he was uh, the first Hispanic driver in many years in NASCAR, and Eric got injured in a race. So we needed a replacement driver, and we looked around, and Bubba was an up-and-coming star. He was in the Xfinity Series and the Truck Series, so he hadn't made his way up to the major league, so to speak. And rather than go with a veteran or a proven, we wanted to give him the opportunity. I was kind of surprised that no one else in NASCAR was giving him the chance in the top series. But we saw the potential in him. Uh, I met with him at the Pocono racetrack, thought he was great, uh, dynamic personality, very media savvy, and just thought he was the perfect fit for the car.
0: Other than his skills driving... How important was his media savvy? How important was that to you and your decision in putting him in the Richard Petty car?
1: Major. Mm. So, you know, he now, in my view, is the new face of NASCAR. Mm. And that's, that's a very heavy burden to put on a 25, 26 year old kid. And again, getting back to our discussions with Hank Aaron, it, it reminded me a lot of what Hank went through when. Hank was breaking Babe Ruth's record, and many viewers are young these days and, and don't recall. But Hank went through heck. I mean, he went yeah. had death threats. He had uh, private investigators following him, letters, um, Major League Baseball had security around him constantly. So it's a heavy burden, much as Jackie Robinson had as well. So we we felt he was up to the challenge, Bubba. That he could tackle it. That he just had um, you know a great base of family support behind him, and we didn't know it would happen this quickly, frankly. I mean, the the events of the last 60 days, I think it really changed the scope of NASCAR, and it all started when we did not have a race sold for Martinsville about six weeks ago, and we said to Bubba, why not do a Black Lives Matter theme on the car, and he immediately loved it, put together this great design, and went out and Brought in an enormous amount of media attention uh, after that race.
0: We're chatting with Rosalind's own Andrew Merstein, CEO of Medallion Financial, majority owner of Richard Petty Motorsports and the New York Lizards Lacrosse team. You're listening to New York Sports and Beyond here on 987 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. When we return on this edition of New York Sports and Beyond, Bubba Wallace becomes a member of Richard Petty Motorsports. Stay with 987. ESPN. Thanks for stopping by New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. Let's continue our discussion with Andrew Merstein, CEO of Medallion Financial, majority owner of Richard Petty Motorsports and the New York Lizards lacrosse team. Andrew, I got to tell you, uh, that's a gutsy move putting an African American driver in a sport that because of the Confederate flag, which we will talk about in a couple of minutes has not been as kind and open to Brown and and black folks, and so to put Bubba Wallace in there in this time period, Andrew, did, was it with everything that was going on? Was it almost like the line, the stars lined up perfectly for this time to make that move to put a, a Black Lives Matter theme on the race car?
1: It it did, it, you know. It it I actually knew this day was coming. I mean, Richard Pitt, not me alone, it was a a whole team effort, but you could see the writing on the wall when we first hired him. You know, I, I got so excited about it, I got ahead of myself. I started thinking, this is two years ago when we put Bubba in the car, that he could really do for NASCAR what Tiger Woods did for golf. Change the scope of the sport, bring diversity and inclusiveness into the sport. So we knew one day that he would attract this attention, but it didn't happen right away. You know, good things always take time. And it was just all of these world events that led up to Bubba's coming out party, so to speak. And it's more than 15 minutes of fame for him. I think he's going to be a major star for years to come.
0: I agree with you. And what was so important, Andrew, is how he handled the media during this situation, during the flag. He's become... Really, as you mentioned, the face of NASCAR in the forefront. And obviously, there were some folks who are reluctant to the change that NASCAR is taking.
1: Yes, definitely. You know, I've been running businesses for over 30 years and have a lots of experience with media and interviews. And he put me to shame. You know, he, he said the right things, even when attacked by the president of the United States. He was composed. He chose love over hate. And the media reaction has been marvelous.
0: The Confederate flag background. Take us through that.
1: So it was one event after another that really led to that. So first, again, we said to Bubba, let's put the Black Lives Matter movement on the car. Um, He actually took it a step further and put a message of, love compassion and understanding on the hood of the car and that was the focal point and it attracted so much positive attention because he was changing the dynamic slightly from just black lives matter to love and compassion and understanding that Everybody paid attention to the car, and he started getting wonderful tweets from everybody from LeBron James to Magic Johnson to to many other great athletes. So he then went on various networks, and they said, Bubba, you've done a great job, but what's next? So they actually challenged him. They said, what would you like to do next? How do you keep this movement going? And it was his idea and his alone, not mine, not Richard Petty's, to say you know what the confederate flag should go he's been going to races since he was six he's always felt uncomfortable seeing it there as many other people have so he said on his interview on primetime let's get rid of the confederate flag to nascar's credit within 48 hours they acted on it you know many other sports leagues talk a big game but don't take action when they want true change and nascar did they banned the flag and many of their fans didn't like it. You know, They, they had protests, unfortunately, today for people at the track that they want to see the Confederate flag there. But they took the right position, in my view. They banned the flag, and then it was a great event in NASCAR history.
0: Andrew, it was the right thing to do. It was a long time coming, and you understand that whenever there's change, people are slow to change. Everybody doesn't think that change is good. And there's a, a part of... Things, symptoms, and and thought process in people that allow them to think that, you know, you're taking part of my heritage away. Well, listen, if, if you still have strength to the Confederate flag, Andrew, you can fly it in your house, you can fly it on your property, but you don't have a right to tell NASCAR what to do.
1: That's a great point, Larry. You know, I think they'll lose some fans, unfortunately, that won't believe this was the right thing to do, but I believe that's okay. And I think hopefully they'll come back over time. They're always welcome to come back. But many, many more fans will now embrace Bubba and the sport than ever did before.
0: All right, Andrew, now take us through the noose controversy, which uh, our president weighed in on as well.
1: Yeah, so that was the next saga. So right after the whole um, Black Lives Matter movement car and Bubba shows up at the race, um, and there's a noose in the garage. And of the 40 or so cars that are in the garage, the noose happens to be in his spot. So it was very unfortunate um, and very unusual. I've been going to races for 10 years. I've never seen a noose there before. So, Bubba, a lot of people don't know the facts behind it, actually. Sometimes you, you read a story headline and you, and you come to an immediate reaction and you don't really care to take the time to understand it, but it's very important, I think, that they do. So, Bubba never saw the noose. Somebody in the garage saw it, they reported it to somebody who reported it to somebody who reported it to NASCAR, and NASCAR put out a statement. So I, it's controversial, but I think they did the right thing, NASCAR. If they didn't put out a statement about it, people could have assumed they swept it under the rug or wanted to hide it, and again, they wanted to be open and forthright, so they put out a statement that there was a noose found in the garage. Thankfully, it turns out, after the FBI was called in, they had about 17 agents calling through the garage the next day, it turned out that it was there for almost a year, no, almost nobody has ever seen it before again i think it's very unusual that something like that just popped up without anybody knowing what happened or how it got there but apparently it was there for a year or so and immediately many people started critiquing bubba which was completely unwarranted again he didn't see it he didn't report it to the media he just reacted to it and he reacted in the right way you know again he didn't Spew hate. He spewed love over hate. And it was just a remarkable scene at the racetrack the next weekend when all the drivers embraced him and supported him and came out with the I Stanford Bubber logo.
0: Now, Andrew, take me back to that moment. You're watching this. And what were your feelings? Because remember, as you mentioned to us earlier, this is why you got into NASCAR. You wanted that inclusion. You wanted to uh, spread this to a wider audience. So when you see the support of the other drivers, what went through your mind?
1: Tears. It was, you know, above. I, I still get a little emotional thinking about it. I mean, it was one of the most beautiful moments in sports that I've ever seen. You know, for for people to stand together and support somebody like that, And you have to understand they're competing, you know, tooth and nail every weekend against each other, in Mm -hmm. in a car running two hundred miles an hour, bumping each other around, getting road rage afterwards. But they put all of that aside, and the only thing they could do was say they support him, they'll stand by him, and they loved him like a brother. I just thought it was a beautiful moment in sports.
0: Andrew, you're a businessman. And you've understand and you've done your homework when it comes to sports and you know that money is key. And sometimes in recent history in sports to make change, there has to be financial pressure. We've seen it with the excuse me, the Washington football team recently. We saw it a number of years ago in the NBA with Donald Sterling and his controversial comments that caused him to eventually lose his ownership of the Clippers. What has been the response financially for sponsors to Bubba Wallace and the things that have surrounded him?
1: Uh, Remarkable, in one word. You know, we've been struggling for two years as a underfunded team to compete against the big boys. NASCAR is uh, alone in the world of sports in that you build your own equipment. So it's like the Yankees, you know, building their own baseballs or. Uh, I could, you could say in NFL they do in the Tom Brady, the play game, <laughs> right. most of the time you're not <laughs> supposed to do that. So here the sport really depends upon money more than anything. Performance depends upon money because if your car goes 200 miles an hour and the next car goes 200.5, you're going to get lapped. So it's that half a mile per hour that makes the whole difference in the world. So money is a key part of this sport. So we've been struggling the last two years in that we we don't have the resources of many of the larger teams, but um, I think that's all changing now. So the goal is to get Bubba a competitive car, and it really starts with sponsorship. And once word got out about what his uh, movement was and what he was trying to accomplish in the sport, basically the, the sponsor started flooding us, thankfully, finally, with phone calls so, in the last 30 days or so, we probably had at least 20 new sponsors, which is really unprecedented in NASCAR. NASCAR hasn't been adding a lot of new sponsors, as most sports haven't, with all the competition these days with everything going on. But it's great that these new sponsors are coming to the sport. And we announced the first one just within the last couple of days, which is Jack Dorsey's Square, which owns a great app called Cash App, decided to back Bubba. So he was, he's actually the second one to, to support Bubba. And a lot of people don't know this either, but the second wealthiest, I'm going by Forbes lists of wealthiest black Americans, is a remarkable man named Dave Stewart. And Dave owns a company called Worldwide Technologies based in St. Louis. And if you look at the list of the wealthiest African-Americans, again, he's number two. And you have people like Jay-Z and Oprah and Beyonce who are household names. Dave's ahead of them. So he's low-key. He's very humble, like, like Hank Aaron. He's extremely well-accomplished. And he started backing Bubba last year with his Worldwide Technology brand. So he was the first to jump on the Bubba bandwagon But thankfully now a lot more Fortune 500 companies are paying attention to what he's doing and are very interested in sponsoring the 43 car.
0: You're listening to New York Sports & Beyond. We'll discuss lacrosse and its return next on 98.7 ESPN. Welcome back to New York Sports & Beyond on 98.7 ESPN. Let's conclude our chat with Andrew Merstein, CEO of Medallion Financial, majority owner of Richard Petty Motorsports and the New York Lizards lacrosse team. Andrew, it sounds like uh, Jim Brown and Hank Aaron and Mario Cuomo had a a very, very f- serious impact on you. Uh, take us through that, meeting them and, and their philosophy and how that's guided you and some of the decisions you've made business-wise.
1: Yes, that's a great point. Um, Mario was the first person uh, of the group that I met, and when we were going public, Uh, Back in the mid-1990s, Mario had just lost the election. So uh, he was governor, as most people know, for 12 years in a row. And uh, an upstart named George Pataki beat him, and and Mario had no idea what was next in his life. He wasn't expecting it. So I had known him and his family for many years while he was governor uh, and kept in touch with him, and I offered him the opportunity to join our board of directors Uh, at Medallion Financial, and he thought about it for a while, and, and then he looked into the company and he said that he's been asked to join many boards since losing the governorship, but what he liked about what we were doing was socially responsible lending. We were making loans at very low rates of 3% to minority-owned businesses, and he loved that concept. So once we had him on board, it's kind of like a sports team. Once LeBron goes to a team, everybody else wants to join. Uh, Then we had our pick for other board members. We would call up people, and we'd say, Mario Cuomo just joined the board, and before we can even stop... To finish the sentence, they would say, well, we'll join the board, too. So thankfully, when I called Hank Guerin, Hank was a big fan of Mario, and then he decided to join the the board of Medallion Financial. And we just always would talk sports in between uh, board breaks, because a lot of people don't know, but Mario was actually an aspiring baseball player. Mm-hmm. And of course, Hank Garen was his idol, like many people's idol. So the more we would talk about baseball, the more uh, I would see that sports could be a great investment, too, and that one thing led to another, to our investing into the sports industry.
0: And then Jim Brown.
1: So when we started with the sports fund, looking into other sports investments, um, again, we looked all across the board, and lacrosse was unique to me in that it, it was like a sport 50 years ago. You know, most people don't remember, but, uh, you know, like the Knicks, and, and even the Super Bowls weren't, weren't live before they were the Super Bowls. So sports is a, a, a business, but these people can't afford just to be lacrosse players. They have part-time jobs, much like, again, pro NFL players and NBA players did years ago. So I, I love the, the raw passion for the game, that these people would play the sport, not be able to um, just get by on that, and they had to have other jobs, but they just would not give up the sport because of their love of it. So I looked around, and I did not know this, but Jim Brown was widely considered the best lacrosse player of all time. Mm -hmm. And the more I learned about the sport, the more I said, wow, what a great fit he would be if we ever invested into the lacrosse industry. And I had met Jim years ago um, at one of the Super Bowls. Somebody introduced him to us. Uh, I think it was actually Paul Taglieb who introduced me to him and um, just started connecting well and and, uh, talking a lot. And I told him my plan to buy the New York Lizards and he loved it. And uh, I asked him to be a part of it. And I'm honored that he said yes.
0: Now, that's a perfect segue. Before you met Jim Brown, you were still thinking about buying the Lizards. What attracted you about lacrosse? Was it a similar idea and thought process to what you had with NASCAR?
1: Uh, A little different, actually. My my thought with lacrosse was it was one of, and still is, the fastest-growing sports. Played at a grassroots level around the country. There's hotbeds of it, of course, in New York and Maryland and other areas. But it's overall very well attended these days by high schools across the country, and it's expanding rapidly. The other thing that I liked about it a lot was actually the safety factor of it compared to the NFL. There's a lot going on with concussions the last, you know, 10 plus years, or at least. It's been happening for more than that, but it's only been talked about recently. And Jim and I would talk about, um, you know, would he let his kids play football these mm. days or another sport? And it turns out that Jim's son, no one really knows this, but is a great lacrosse player who's going to be going to one of the uh, historically black colleges in the fall and playing lacrosse there. So Jim really liked it. He liked the safety aspect of it versus the NFL, uh, which was attractive to me as well. And then the final component was media. Media just plays such a huge, you know, more than anybody, just a huge role in sports. And no franchise, no pro lacrosse franchise was picked up by the media. So I knew one day somebody would want it, and thankfully it was ESPN. So this weekend... The cross season kicks off on Saturday, and every single game is going to be on ESPN Plus, ESPN 2, or on the main network.
0: And now, this is the 20th season, so take us through you know, the discussions in bringing this sport back in, the, in this Corona-19 pandemic world that we're in right now, as far as safety and fans. How's that going to work with MLL?
1: Yeah, we we looked at it for a while, and you know, frankly, we're touch and go. Should we bring it back? Should we not? But there was such overwhelming support from the fans and from the players, who really were itching to get back up and running. And we're really jumping slightly ahead of the line. You know, all the sports are coming back in the next thirty days or so, most of them. So we were able to to be the first one really out of the gate by our game starting this Saturday. Uh, I just got notice that of the 150 players that went there, only one was tested tested negatively or or had COVID, and mm-hmm. therefore that person won't be able to play. But it's in effect a mini bubble like they're doing in Orlando and other sports leagues are doing. So thankfully, you know, all the proper precautions are in place. The state of Maryland has been fantastic. The governor really, uh, we had, we had a little bidding war, which is nice. You don't <laughs> expect that in lacrosse, but many governors had we spoke to all wanted to make the announcement that pro sports is coming back, and Maryland was really the the easiest and best to work with.
0: Financially, what would have the impact been on Major League Lacrosse had you not been able to get your season started this year.
1: Um, I, I think it would have been a slight setback. You know, I, I, it's it's not as bad as, as in other sports, perhaps, in that um, you know these other athletes, it's a hundred percent of of their income is coming from it. Um, you know, their their numbers are a lot better than what. The, the young men that play lacrosse get. But it, uh, it would have been probably a setback, but I, I think it would have been okay in the, in the long run. Again, they've been playing, to your point, it's the 20th season. So, you know, this, this sport really is going to be around for a long time. Um, it's a great family sport. All of the fans at all of our games, the average age is about 15 or so. So young kids have a great time here. The players, which you don't see in any sport, stay for hours after the game normally, unfortunately, with no fans in attendance and won't be able to do it in the next 10 days, but they stay for hours after the game signing autographs and all the kids come onto the field and meet the players so it's really a great family sport.
0: Uh, it, it is and it's a sport, as you mentioned, that's growing 20 years. is, You know, for a sport that you don't consider one of the mainstream sports, to have that success and longevity is key.
1: Yes, you know, it it got... It started with a couple of major investors, which is nice. That's the way it it patterns itself a little after Major League Soccer. So -hmm. Major League Soccer kind of got started by one or two major investors, Phil Anschultz, And here it it got started by the owner of the Denver Broncos, uh, the Boland family, and Jim Davis, who owns New Balance. So the credit really goes to them. They really had the fourth right 20 years ago. Uh, I kind of jumped on the bad wagon again about seven years ago, to get involved with lacrosse. But it was really their foresight that's kept this thing going.
0: And what can we expect from our lizards this year, Andrew?
1: Well, I think uh, we're going to do well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I say that every year. and Once in a while, (laughs) I'm right. So, um, you know, the the team is uh, based at at Hofstra. Uh, A lot of the players are local, um, which is great. And um, we won the championship a couple of years ago. Uh, We have Dylan Malloy, who's a local player who won the Twarden Award at Brown uh, as one of our star players. You have Lyle Thompson, who's uh, playing for Chesapeake, who's maybe the best lacrosse player in the world. So you're going to see great talent out there starting on ESPN this Saturday, and it's going to be 10 days or so of great uh, competition.
0: Andrew Merstein, CEO of Medallion Financial and majority owner of Richard Petty Motorsports and the New York Lizards lacrosse team is my guest. You're listening to New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN. Andrew, in the minutes we have, let's swing back to NASCAR. What's the pressure? I mean, you know, we talk Richard Petty. That is a historic name when you talk about racing. And the challenge in trying to maintain that image, that level, that success that he rose to, what's the pressure like?
1: intense. You know, he uh, is the all-time winningest driver by far. I mean, the, the record is remarkable. He He's won 200 races, and number two is at 103. I, I can't think of any sport where there's that much of a distance between number one and number two. That's dominance. So, yes, he, he dominated this sport. You know, like almost no athlete has, has dominated any sport. And I really have a goal of returning the team to dominance, and um, the team struggled before we bought, bought it. Again, they were underfunded, but we're on a great trajectory now to start doing that. Bubba's been having a great year, and we've attracted enormous interest from other star athletes that it would be nice if they invested in the team as well. Actually, after this interview, I have a call with one of Floyd Mayweather's people. Hmm. Floyd's been looking at the sport, and uh, that's you know one of the reasons that Bub has done so much to the sport. He's brought in so much attention again from people like Floyd and LeBron and others. And um, I actually even had a, another call set up uh, with Jay Z coming up, and Jay is also a big fan of what Bubba's been accomplishing. So it would be great to bring that kind of star power to the Richard Petty brand, which would really reinvigorate it and get them back on that star trajectory that they used to be on.
0: Now, when you speak with investors, what is the goal? Obviously, the goal is to get money, but how do you pitch them? How how do you sell them what they're buying into? They're buying into Richard Petty Motorsports, obviously, but what does that entail? What does that mean for them?
1: So I'd like to position it as the Yankees. Almost every sports team has sold for more than the previous buyer paid. And one of the rare examples that that has not happened in the sports world is actually the last team you would think of is the New York Yankees. So when CBS owned it, they, they bought it for about $12 million, and they sold it to George Steinbrenner for about $10 million. And then George, of course, built up a tremendous fan base or continued the fan base and won championship after championship. That's what a lot of these athletes are saying to me is that, and I'm happy about it, is they're seeing that potential in Richard Petty Motorsports in that uh, it's a the best brand in the sport, but has not been as competitive as it can. And all it needs is money to improve their competition and get to the next level And that's what I think they'll do. If we can attract some new investors into the team, attract some sizzle to it, then sponsorship is going to come in as well. And if we can land one or two of these major sponsors that we're talking to now, then we'll be as competitive as any team and have the chance to bring back the luster of the brand.
0: Do you see uh, a scenario where you have more black and brown drivers, female drivers in NASCAR? Is Bubba Wallace... Adding to that, do you see him making that move? And if so, how soon do you think that can happen?
1: That's a great question. Uh, I I do, but it's not going to happen overnight. As you said before, you know, all great things kind of take time, and and it, people have to change their view. So the way I believe to accomplish that is, and Hank Aaron and I talk about it a lot because Hank uh, was upset in a way that there weren't more great african-american baseball players coming through the ranks it was very different you know in this in the eighties and nineties But the, the communities perhaps didn't have the support and uh... the the territories or the fields to play so um, a lot of the athletes in baseball is you know coming up from uh... hispanic communities but i think what has to happen uh... for this to occur in nascar is more investment in the local communities and dirt tracks uh, fans, young five, six-year-olds, seeing what Bubba's accomplishing and saying to their parents, I want to be like him. Mm. I want to one day be a store NASCAR driver instead of a store NFL player or NBA player and get the support from their families to do that. It's an expensive sport, but one of the things we're gonna start doing in Bishop Burdy Motorsports is making donations to a lot of low income communities to get dirt track racing back up and going. And I think that would be a great way to have a feeder system into more minority drivers in the future.
0: Andrew, it always comes down to money, doesn't it?
1: <laughs> yes. It, it money finds its way into everything and, and uh but you know the the beauty about what Bubba's doing is um it all started with love with him and right. equality and inclusiveness. And the end result might be money, but you know his, his heart wasn't heading in that direction. It was doing the right thing. And if money falls through because of that, then it's a win-win.
0: Well, Andrew, it's money, but it's also money that leads to exposure, right? And the exposure of what you're doing with NASCAR now and his face being seen and people saying, oh, okay, there is Somebody that's African American driving, and and there's been a number of others who have tried to go through that. But as you mentioned, if if, if you don't have the finances to have the car, you know you're not going to be successful. Uh, a couple more questions: What are some of the uh, nuances and some of the things that are happening in cars now, and in motors in NASCAR that's going to be in the future? That's going to challenge even some of the numbers in miles per hour that you're doing today.
1: Uh, There's a lot going on. There was actually a NASCAR All-Star race uh, a couple of days ago, and they uh, had lights underneath the car, which was the first time that I've seen it. It was a Bristol night race. It made it extremely exciting. Uh, Then I heard rumors about people like uh, Tesla or electric cars coming to the sport in the future, which would be great as well. Um, And... A lot of the technology is is improving the performance. You actually have to slow these things down now because wow. you don't want the cars, you know, flying off the off the track. But you're still hitting over 200 miles per hour at some of the super speedways like Talladega and Daytona. So it's it's really it's, it's an extremely technologically technologically advanced sport and many people don't know that my first experience at a race was i assumed people were just going to be drinking beers and having fun but almost everybody in the audience had a, had a little sprint vision computer in front of them mm. and i haven't seen this in, in any sport you could actually pick the angle of the car you want to see the, out the front you want to see out the back you could pick the driver that you want to follow you could tune into his exclusive radio station where he talks to the crew chief who talks to the spotter so you could uh, see the miles per hour you could calculate when he's going to be running out of fuel what the tire wear is so it's really such a big part of the sport and that's what i think makes it so interesting to newcomers is to find out about how exciting it is when you're at the track there's nothing like to me being at a hockey game is a lot better than watching it on tv and nascar is the same way
0: last question What's next for Medallion Financial sports-wise? Looking at any other investments in teams or maybe going back to one of the four major sports or maybe doing something international?
1: Um, I'm not sure, honestly. I, I think um, short-term it's really just getting NASCAR's, uh in the right direction or helping Bubba get it in the right direction. It's, it's him that's doing it, not not me. Uh, But I think we'd we'd like to just expand the team first as a next step. I'd love to have a second car. Um, It would be great if we could put a woman driver in in the car as our next car. I think that would bring in another audience that we don't have right now. Danica Patrick, you know, as many people saw competed, but didn't get over the winner's circle first. So I would love to do that. I would love Bubba to be the first Black driver to be in the winner's circle and then eventually have a woman driver work for us as well uh, and uh, have that happen. That will be two unprecedented events in escrow's history.
0: Andrew Merstein, CEO of, of Medallion Financial and majority owner of Richard Petty Motorsports and the New York Lizards lacrosse team. Continued success. Give our regards to uh, Bubba Wallace. Tell him to keep keep putting his foot to the metal. Keep making those uh, those miles per hour go as fast as possible and continue success with your
1: ventures. I appreciate it very much. I actually have a call coming up with Bubba to try to give him a little pre-race pep talk. Not that he needs it from me, but he's got a big race coming up at uh, Texas this Sunday with our new cash shop sponsor. So we want to do well for them, and we'll try to keep it going and do what's right uh, in the world of sports.
0: Absolutely. Best of luck, Andrew. Thanks for a couple of minutes this Sunday.
1: My pleasure. Thanks very much.
0: That wraps up this edition of New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN. We thank you for listening. We'll join you during the week on ESPN New York tonight and right back here next Sunday morning on New York Sports and Beyond. For my producer, the legendary Ray Santiago, I'm Larry Hardesty. The conversation continues right here on 98.7 ESPN New York.